What I'm interested in is staying in my own atelier, like a painter, and making my own art. When Philippe Garel began making films as a young man in 1964, he did so without a script, driven only by a need to create his own art. But, of course, that art would confront and become entangled with the fates of the new wave and with the seismic spasm of 1968. Europe burned. But, rather than scaling up and losing his mind, think Godard flipping cars in polychrome, Garrel brought to bear a ravishing, provocative and tragic lens, a cinema of secular, though subtle prophecies. Bedrooms, kitchen tables, cafes, forest roads and tunnels, bedsheets. This was and remains scintillating, convulsive stuff. A bit of shock and awe, slap and tickle, but neatly contained, composed and magisterial. And he hasn't really stopped. So here's two films, both sparse, both black and white, 1968 and 2017. The Revelateur and Lover for a Day, a lifetime between them. In a 2018 interview with Mubi, Garrel claimed that he has been making the same films all along. That's 34, for anyone keeping count. But is that actually true? And can it ever really be true? Has the avenging miniaturist of the new wave actually stayed the course? Or has he kind of, you know, gone limp with the years? This is MoobTube, a film podcast brought to you by Saddam Hussein's Bath Party. <laughs> Joining me in discussion as ever is Ralph Pritchard. Ralph, did you love these films for a day or was it over all too quickly? <laughs> I mean, there are two very distinct experiences at hand here. Um, the first is Le Revelateur, which was made during May 68, during the real height of this mm. cultural moment. It was made in Munich, um, far away from the action. Mm. Um, and it's an experimental film. It uses very um, it uses images of a mother, a father, and a, ch- a son, a child, um, that are quite enigmatic, quite Freudian, quite... They, they conjure up theories of attachment. Um, they're very... Um, they're very essential and psych- psychoanalytical. Mm. And Lover for a Day, I would say, has the same fixation with the psychoanalytical, but it's a lot more literal. It is a straight mm. down the line narrative piece about relationships, uh, about... It's, this one's not actually about infidelity, but a lot of his latest no. work is about infidelity. Well, it, well no, it, 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 it is in a way. I mean, infidelity does happen. Not not like yeah. a, a marital infidelity, but um, oh yeah, there is infidelity, of course. Yeah. Every I mean, yeah. every Come French on. film it's has French. infidelity, <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, not it's not central. Like it's not a framing like central framing device or anything. It's just a part of the kind of warp and weft of Lover for a Day. It just you know it is what it is. It's yeah. More so about as far as infidelity. as you alluded to in the intro, like in as far as he says he's been making the same film all along, there is a preoccupation with father, mother, lover. Mm-hmm these sort of dynamics and, and the plot of love for day is a um an, a, an older man whose whose daughter comes to stay with him after a, a messy breakup while he's dating a woman her age mm. um who then proceeds King. to cuckold him in absolute, a absolute pimp 
<laughs> I mean, um, I, I, I was, I was just. In, if it's not been made up clear already, I was intensely frustrated by the norminess mm. of Lover for a Day, and oh, yeah, Le, and La Tour, which is a film I've loved for a long time, mm. lost a little bit of its avant-garde edge with That's the addition of, of Lover for a Day, and, and other. I oh, watched so a that, few of his other later works. So that kind of coloured your your kind of retroactive glance at it your kind of memory it's kind of spoiled the appreciation for either it, that or I, it's just or it's charm has worn off through mm. it not enduring through you know a fifth viewing i mean i have you know it's a it's, a, it's been a, a big one for me la revelateur mm. i mean when i was a, when i saw it when i was a teenager and i was like wow you can make films like this like this is these yeah. are the sorts of atmospheric well you can make a, images a, a, I wanted to make. almost entirely silent film you know it's like there's no dialogue mm. um yeah. you can you can tell a story through gestures and through choreographed actions you know and, and using very you know literally three characters using light um it's michel fournier uh, the cinematographer who also worked on um, with garel on um the virgin's bed uh, which was like literally a year later um mm. which was just like e- equally well we could talk about um virgin's bed as well virgin's bed shares a lot of similar um vi- aesthetic visual concerns with um uh, the the Revelateur, um, and it's interesting because Revelateur is is a film. You know, like you said, it's shot during uh, May '68. It's obsessed with this prophetic. It's like the secular prophecy. Mm. Um, it's extremely kind of uh, fired with uh, no immured in like you said this kind of Oedipal relationship, mm. but also this kind of transformative. Thing. It's, it's it's an allegorical story told without language um you know there's lots of people carrying people people falling down child embracing mother um, i suppose because it lacks the verbal those mm. allegories don't feel as clunky as they might otherwise do no no actually yeah if there was if there was like um and because pasolini was always someone that kind of uh, embraced the allegorical um and sometimes you know it's very obvious what pasolini is doing it can kind of ruin the Really enjoyment a little bit sometimes, but I think having a non-vocalized, non-verbal um, approach to allegory, it kind of we know it's telling us more about than what is going on at the surface. This is a kind of because it is youth. It's youth within mm-hmm. youth because it's it, the, the parent figures are not elderly. They're not geriatric. They're actually young themselves. They're like twenty, early twenties or something. They've got this young child, so it's not even like the relationship between Eurozone and, and uh, you know, sort of like the, the subject. It's a relationship between already young people and even younger. Um, and that kind of, and it, this overall writing sense from this film is a strangeness and a kind of dread, right? Because there's all, this constant threat that is circulating through it. You know, they kind of embrace each other with this kind of, these hurried um, kind of embraces and grasps there's a lot of like running through woods looking Mm. horrified into the camera staring down the camera crawling through the mud it's like yeah there's a lot of threat um they are not safe i guess is the point here right yeah one almost thought of time of the wolf actually a previous Mm. youtube review about kind of a family enduring there's some sense of crisis especially in in the in the later scenes where they're sort of hiding behind behind little sort of molehills um, there's a sense of danger and a sense of of protection. I guess a lot of the mm. fundamental feelings of family stuff to do with fearing for someone you love, being upset when people you love are kind of when the parents are fighting, um, a feeling of wanting protection, a feeling of wanting to get away, um, 
a feeling of wanting to get lost in one's own world. There's an amazing bit where the, yeah. the child plays with a little teddy. It's all mm. really like basic and simple and obvious, which I love. I really yeah. love that. That's the spiritual element. As you say, it's like secular spirituality. And that's, I guess, you know, that's why it ties in with, I was going to say Tarkovsky, he's not secular at all. <laughs> but <laughs> in as far as he's an artist and he the makes images, for me, mm. like filmmaking is my religion, right? So mm. um, the stuff that's compelling for me is... Um, Dominus Patri, um, yeah. etc. Um, <laughs> the Yes, actually, when the director... Um, signals and when a director says action really he's genuflecting before the cross the cross is the <laughs> lens um, but, but yeah there's I a lot like like the virgin's bed which I, I watched actually um, which is also virgin's a movie great. yeah it's, that's good fun and it, it's, it's a bit chaotic big, and mad it's a bit chaotic it's got big dick energy for the 60s because it's got like a Nico soundtrack oh it's, yeah it's, Zuzu the is, is uh, the virgin is Mary so it's like this star studded it's like the luminaries of the 60s whereas this is a much more kind of miniature like um, the revelator is a much more miniature thing um, he fully stepped in like the next film he makes like, he makes this film which is quite prophetic in a kind of subtle way um, about this young family teetering on the edge, as it were, the brink of the possible future that 1968 was ushering in. Mm. Uh, a doomed future as well. Um, mm. And 1969, a literal f- retelling of the story of Jesus. Like, he's not, he's not like, bashful when it comes to um, talking about the, the significance of his own art and the movement that he was part of. He's like, this is, this is Jesus stuff. This is trying... Like, it's all bound up with, like, the enthusiasm of the 68, but without kind of, like, the smugness of like situation the situationists and the smugness of like the kind of hippie as a figure Mm. cultural figure like because in virgin's bed jesus is kind of this ultra hippie um character um and it but it's not kind of it's not cringy when you watch it looking back on it years later which often happens with kind of radical movements you look back on what was kind of challenging then and you kind of cringe a bit but you, i don't really cringe with virgin's bed and i don't certainly don't cringe with le revelateur um because like you said it's kind of basic simple stuff which is quite moving just on its own yeah yeah it's it's the lack of cringe is kind of is i mean it has a naivety to it maybe i don't mm. know if that word's appropriate but i guess um yeah, so looking a bit later on into his career, I did watch um, L'Enfant Secret, which mm. is a film he made in 1979. A bit of biography about Garel. He dated Nico uh, mm. for quite a while. Through Ten the, years, yeah. Through the um, arduous heroin addiction that eventually killed her. L'Enfant Secret, which... Um, mm is uh yeah it's 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 very it's very poetic again it's kind of got a more Mm. experimental rough around the edges feel and it's quite it's very autobiographical he gets two actors to play him and nico in this film l'enfant secret there's just a few a few really stunning images in it and it has this very again he's kind of interested in the montage and time unfolding there's a lot of slowness to it um anyway in this this video essay which we'll we, we can link to we never link to anything by the way so that is a lie we, say, say, we say we will <laughs> but you can look it up there's a film critic called adrian uh called adrian martin um who went all the way to dublin for a philip Gorel conference um and the organizer the irish organizer of the philip Gorel conference apparently there are like only 12 people there and they are like of course they're the only people in in the world who really love Philip Gorel. Um and um and yeah the guy who organized like this way it was the first time having seen L'Enfant Secret and at the end of it 
Um, it's also on movie, by the way. Uh, at the end of the screening, he said to Adrian Martin, um, "Have we just watched the greatest film ever made?" <laughs> and Adrian Martin <laughs> says, "Yes, <laughs> yes." <laughs> Oui, oui. Um, there is there is a uh, because he was sanctified by Jean-Luc Godard um, he's got this energy of this kind of like like I said I said prophet earlier and I think it's kind of like the prophet motive runs strong within him right <laughs> because he's like he's got this um, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy I don't know but he's got he, everything he kind of seems to touch seems to be freighted with this kind of bigger biggerness um, to it, which is certainly evident in La Revelateur and Version's Bed, um, has a kind of swagger about it because of that. Um, and like all things, you know, it kind of tends towards the pompous. Um, and he is quite a pompous filmmaker, um, I think. I'm not saying that as a, as, a, as a negative at all, as a pejorative. I actually think it's part of what makes him so interesting because he's willing to elevate the everyday to and basic actions and basic instincts to this kind of prophetic transformative space and like what is cinema if not a transformation of the senses like a radical transformation of the senses and that's kind of what he brings about so you need these people um you know you can have your bressons but sometimes you need somebody to like literally fuck with jesus in a film and it you know it makes it makes it interesting but that's yeah so he continues making these films right throughout the 70s mm. 80s and he's just gone on making like he's like the marvel extended universe this is like a a lifetime's project of 1968 of paris 68 yeah, yeah the yeah. marvel extended universe of <laughs> the paris 68 that's extended a brilliant universe. description of Guerrero. <laughs> um but yeah and so he's gone on uh and is on and on he's like 72 now i think 73 mm. um so he's uh one part of the ancien regime in a way um and one of the i guess the living the living um new waivers um obviously jean Godard is somehow still alive um <laughs> holed up in his house in normandy or wherever the fuck he is um yeah so that's like segue into uh lover for a day yeah um you know bridging that gap of fucking years and years uh what how does it for you kind of connect to the concerns of um of the revelator and does it feel like the film of a similar filmmaker or the same sorry the same person is it it doesn't feel this but then when you look at it when you try and make links you can obviously find parallels um i feel like as an artist i often ricochet between wanting to make something quite convent narratively conventional partly just so that i can back it up a bit more and just say well look there's a story being told there it's you know there's an act structure there's things unfolding you know i feel a bit i feel like a bit more confident in the world with a script that looks a bit like the one from lover for a day and yet th that kind of filmmaking doesn't excite me i can write pages and pages of scripts that look a bit like that um but it's not nearly as exciting as Garrel's more experimental work. And yet what Garrel's experimental work lacks mm. is the punch and the urgency. Yep. Um, well, no, the, the later work lacks punch and urgency more mm. clearly. There's a, there is a, there is a urgency to Le Rev and to Lisa Le Vierge just because they're rooted in the 68 time and the, and the work of Nico as well. I think that they were quite the power couple if a little mm. dysfunctional. Um, a and that's that's quite exciting to behold 
but yeah love for a day does feel like a rather gentrified energy i don't know quite why i love that you've called it that yeah 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 it's totally it's a gentrification of 68 um, but i get yeah. it as well because he was he had a rough time right he, he where he, where he mm. went psychotic for a bit and he wanted to kind of chill mm. out and you know he's, and he's, he's got kids now and everything you know i mean you can't make i mean this is the question because it's like when you make when you commit yourself to art and you commit yourself to making art throughout your lifetime obviously your concerns change with your age the, the films you want to make when you're 24 aren't going to be the films you make when you have a child or when you're middle-aged or when like him you know he's 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 uh should be retired mate um on that pension money from um academy francais or whatever um but he's so obviously your concerns shift and change but interestingly he's not he doesn't seem to be making films about old age he still seems to be kind of concerned with love uh youth i think the concern with youth feels who very does pre- make films about old age by the way I mean, there's Amor by Michael Haneke, but like generally speaking. But people might kind of identify themselves more closely with a kind of older protagonist and you're seeing the world through their eyes more, Mm. I think. Whereas I don't feel this is, I don't feel these films are reflective, like, or at least I don't feel that Lover for Day is reflective because if you had said, oh, this is a film from like a 30 year old filmmaker, I would have, you could believe it. You know, this doesn't feel, Mm. it feels like he's kind of, it's the power of nostalgia to kind of swallow you. Um, you know, are you a necromancer or a necrophiliac? Um, you know, are you raising the past or are you fucking it? Um, and it's it's interesting for me because, yeah, watching this, watching, I watched Love for a Day first and then I watched Lara of the Tour. Um, I've seen Virgin's Bed uh, a few months ago. Um, and it's interesting because, yeah, you're right, gentrified, it is quite a bourgeois film. It has the minimalism uh, of concern, you know, it's about yeah. heartbreak and desire, but it just feels very tawdry to me like I didn't enjoy it I found it quite difficult to to care about these quite self-involved people and like you know you you mentioned Romare and Romare talks about the kind of day-to-day self-involvedness of young people but there's a kind of um wry beauty to how romance does it like it's kind of that's the thing because you messaged me saying like how why should i give a fuck about these self-involved bourgeois french types and i was like well (laughs) technically one could level that accusation at roma so let's explore Mm. like why you actually yeah let's tease out (laughs) i think it felt there's a self-importance to it which was i think the choice of black and white for me is just such an interesting it feels kind of like a juvenile stylistic choice like, oh, I'm good. it's like fucking um, Francis Ha you know it's like mm. choosing to film something in black and white to give it a classic look and it's like mm. but why colour is so beautiful um, colour is such a beautiful thing and with Michel Fournier in the past he had a cinematographer who absolutely knew how to wring the living daylights out of um, black and white film it wasn't just using a black and white camera he knew about the cherry light story it and everything light. yeah yeah whereas this is just it's a very it's that very kind of crisp kind of crisp yet slightly soft um water-worn type of black and white digital cinema photography that's just kind of just a bit bleh. um their conversations were tawdry their interests were tawdry um I don't know. I just, I just didn't. Yeah, the get fixation my hooks into on it. Fi- on fidelity in films. That's mm. something I'd like to have a moratorium on. Actually, yeah. straight people in films discussing whether or not it will be okay if one of them cheats on mm. the other, because it's, it's so not dense. okay. 
it, no, always, not... it always ends badly. I don't know about in real life, but in films, whenever that someone has a conversation, oh, would you mind if I had sex with the other women? You know, <laughs> and then they do, and then the person is someone upset. Someone gets upset because they've broken a bond upset. of trust. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it. Like, because here we've got different people upsetting each other for the whole film without any resolution. Like, I don't feel like anybody had a kind of moment of clarity or understanding in this film. No. The bond between father and daughter just felt kind of loose and abstract. And there wasn't like a moment for them through their shared kind of... It didn't feel like through their shared... Because they both have relationship hiccups, like through their shared kind of relationship um, uh, difficulties that they came to some deeper understanding as father and daughter. Um, that wasn't there at all. It, they, it, it just felt like mates. Um <laughs> It wasn't like a portrait of uh, a deep, meaningful, dysfunctional parent. Yeah, there is a deficit of bonds, isn't there? Mm. There was, but it didn't problematize those. It just, I mm. think, it just came about through a kind of kind of bad script. Because, um, like you said, there's a lot of conversations that are like, um, you know, sort of, oh, will you call me back? I don't know. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's lots of just kind of relationship guff that, for me, had no kind of like. I was like, why? I don't get it. Who like, did why? you find um, to be hotter, Ariane or Jeanne? Uh, Ariane, naturally. Um, but partly maybe that's the cruelty. I was so quick to answer that. What's your response? I was going to say Jeanne, the daughter. Jeanne. I was more no. attracted to her. I mean, as a person, yeah. But if we're talking like, uh, you know, if we're talking pure... If we're flesh. talking pure, pure flesh, then uh, but not, she's she, I'm not sure I can distinguish the two, Owen. I'm very sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very this is a very the two are just you know person. How could you dehumanize a woman so much? It's really, it's really am, disturbing. Um, are you calling me out for objectifying? <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's it's kind of like because when a, when somebody an actor when, sorry when a director makes a film, they instinctively identify with one of the characters. I think mm. more than the others. I couldn't figure out who it was here, and I sometimes like to play that game. I'm like, who does a director think they are? I mean, ideally, they don't, or they, if they do, it's like incredibly obvious. Like in L'Enfant Secret, mm. um, there is it's the story is literally the story of his life yeah. for the previous three years, and it, it and so it's quite obvious who he identifies. And it's almost interesting to do something like that because then you can kind of disrupt. Mm. Maybe you can even disrupt who you sympathise with when there's such an obvious yeah. point of sympathy. But yeah, I think here. I just think he probably sympathises with the... No, actually, I don't know. I was going to say he sympathises with the dude, because the dude the is, dude. like, so close to him in age and gender. And yeah. sort of, like... like He's a bit of a sad reputation. Sack, yeah. Cause and I don't think he gets much airtime, does he, right? It's mostly he isn't really. He doesn't really. Um, it's kind of interesting, because he... There's an amazing scene. Well, I say amazing. I find it. I don't think it's intentionally amazing. I just find it quite funny where he's hanging out with because a lot of the the narrative spins around the fact that the the his young girlfriend Adrian Ariane is um, uh, obviously quite uh, tempest, a bit tempestuous, and quite um, she's just in love with attraction. I think so. Yeah. She has these kind of yeah. She's very easily attracted to people and kind a of bit wants of transgression. to pursue bit of transgression likes pursuing different people um we see a lot of scenes with her kind of having this like gasping sexual intercourse with people um in a public toilet public toilet so she's in obviously full like view of the public including him eventually mm -hmm, exactly and it's like a lot of her kind of like she she is the yeah the kind of tempestuous some more uh kind of character 
and you know she's in the cafe with the the philosophy professor it's just it's such like a kind of like fake porn narrative almost she's like that he she claims that she fell in love with him when he uttered his first words in his class you know sort of saying philosophy is the art of the impossible or something stupid something really pat like that that they'd never say in a philosophy <laughs> university <laughs> philosophy course um i don't know it just it feels like a little bit of wish fulfillment um about this idea of kind of young beautiful women falling in love with men sad sack men uh, just because of their power or something. I don't. I don't know. It just, I mean, it does happen. Can I just say it does happen? It does happen. <laughs> <laughs> and does you it? will be one of those sad sack men one day <laughs> when I get tenure. Um, <laughs> um, no, I don't know. We're nowhere near tenure. <laughs> no, 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 mate. I don't know. I um, well, millennials are creeping barrage, isn't it? Millennials. I'll be a, when I'm eighty if I live so long. Inshallah, um, I will be a millennial still. Um, yeah. Just as boomers, you know. But whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. It felt like a little bit of wish fulfillment. Um, I just didn't no, feel it. it felt very, I didn't feel like it felt very lively. Um, I didn't feel any push or pull. And it's like, it was more interesting because like when you look at Le Revelateur, it's like you're, I don't know, he's quietened down a bit. And it's like, I don't, I don't feel like, he's obviously trying to scratch an itch because he's made so many films or mm. it's just good money. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, like I, I can't help but think that these more conventional films are better at the bo- do, do better at the box office, with, oh, especially with do. like a middle class audience. But then yeah, I, you know, but it's yeah. not a natural. I mean, you were saying, making this um, this crude analogy about going limp in in, in old age, but I mean, good <laughs> Godard is Godard is is stiff as a board by all accounts. He's stiff. He's he's on the fa- he's, on the, he's on the Viagra, and you know he's he's on the Cialis and Viagra double drop. Like, but he has like le, le chou de bleu. <laughs> But like Godard is someone who's like stuck to his, as it were, stuck to his guns. And he said, I, this, I'm interested in making a transgressive radical cinema. It's not going to look the same every decade because he has reinvented himself, but it's always remained. He's always exploring the envelope of the possible in his films. And sometimes it works really, really fucking well. And sometimes it's impossible to watch. Um, but he's always been interested in that. You could even say the same of people, uh, you know, some people who made films for a kind of a spanning um, decades, you know, you've got your Agnes Varda and whatever, like people making films that are kind of, they're just pushing, they're scratching something. It doesn't feel like it, it just feels like he kind of, I don't know, settled. And we don't stand for that on this podcast. We we want people who are committed to the bit. We want people who are yeah, committed to the Yeah, I think the lust the has to be there, right? I mean, I just mm. think, I think that it's a weird, th- it's a weird kind of habit to slip into. And also the, the piano music is so like, shit and like not really? disruptive it's the exact opposite of what he used to do in the 60s and 70s which mm. is like disrupt form he is like mm. abiding to like a form as if it's been as if he's been told it just really feels like someone's been kind of lobotomized or something yeah it's interesting you said a, that because like these like bits of piano music it's like literally a, a, an emotional cue and it's like, yeah, why yeah. are you using this lame emotional And there's cue? literally a voiceover like, that tells you what's mm. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such an it's interesting crazy. transformation. I, I think we're, we don't, I, this is this equivalent of cinematic snitching. <laughs> you know, snitches get stitches, mate. Like, I, I'm fine with it. It was like a perfectly average film, I guess. I just didn't feel there was any joy in the making of it. It was completely No, it joyless. really annoyed you. I'm, you texted me yeah. in State of I was Rage. A bit, I was a bit pissed, but. You, um, you weren't indifferent. No, I, it I just, know yeah, you. I know you. Are. You know you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It just, it, I just, yeah, it felt yeah. perfectly average and a bit. It just there was no joy. It felt like there was no joy in the making of it. Um, it was just going through the motions. I mean, I don't. I think that it, some of his best films aren't exactly joyous, but they're like 
Ah, but they're, they're, they're powerful, rapt- they? yeah, rapturous and, and urgent, like you said. You know, sort of virgin's bed and so on. It's like it, it's not exactly a pl- delight to watch, but um, nor is Le Revelateur, But it's kind of tr- uh, transformative as an experience. There was one moment in um, uh, Lover for a Day which I really liked, which is when they're having it's like a dinner party or they're eating. He's he had the professor's having dinner with a few students, I guess. Uh, very normal behavior in France, um, and they're talking about the Algerian war and they're kind of just saying all these pat sentiments about the Algerian war. Um, and the philosophy So weird that they're not talking about like a recent war. I thought <laughs> they so, were. So lost in 1968. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Um, no, exactly. They're going through this. It's the nostalgia industry of this film, but he, they're talking about it and suddenly the film, there's this kind of like cut to a kind of old haggard man who's just looming over the table and he's like, I fought in the Algerian war. Um, and he, he kind of just speaks very honestly about it and then disappears and walks off. Um, do you not remember that? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it felt, sort of, of, it felt a bit odd. Like it just kind of he just suddenly appeared there, like this kind of avenging. It's old like figure. A, a shit version of that bit in La Hen where they're in the toilet <laughs> and the dwarf comes out of the cubicle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fairness. The veteran comes out of the uh, toilet. He, he starts to, telling this Russian story about like this guy who at a gulag who had his who went for a shit uh, and he still had his pants down when the the the, um, the the lorry full of gulag prisoners was leaving and he was like running after them with shit falling down his legs. <laughs> anyway, anyway, <laughs> but um, there that I, moment I, had a bit of much more to say about Gurel. Yeah. No, I, I don't think we have. I thought I, we'd have loads to say, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sort of... I don't know. I, I, find, I find myself kind of running against a rock with it a little bit because I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot to say about his early work and to say about the prophecy, the secularism of it. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. It's like, a, his, it's like his 60s films were like a tuning fork for the era um, mm. and painted this very radical, transformative thing but I suppose in a deeper way, there's kind of a vacuum at the center of all his films. I think he's just trying to be, fill that vacuum, fill that void a bit. And I think that's with, with, with the three films I've seen by him, I think I can fairly say that, that it just feels like there's something missing. Um, even if they can ravish us, like I should like The Virgin's Bed more and I should like La Revelateur more, but because it feels like there's like an emptiness, um, uh, an emptiness in the in the heart of it. It makes it makes basically his later films just very postmodern, um, pretty much. But in like in the emptiest way. Um, but postmodern you know. is always empty. Yeah, that's true. It's just yeah. I don't know. I just it just felt a bit bourgeois. I think when you you said it was a gentrified film, he gentrified himself. I think that's true. I think it's a fair accusation. I mean, the only thing I'd add is 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 you know a lot of sixty eight, the sixty eight has did. Mm. I guess that's an interesting I don't know I'm being like funny now but like you know mm. like what what does it mean when um, you have a moment like that where like there is a sense of belief in mm. total transformation and it's ruled out I mean we've had that you know ourselves in our generation with the student movement and then Corbynism and mm. you know now we're in a, a, a bit it's all looking a bit more like a Russian short story 
um (laughs) you know but are we gonna you know are we gonna gentrify ourselves some of us will but you know what's the future you know what's the sense of the future and i think yeah sometimes these things burn burn so quickly that they leave nothing behind um i'm not saying the 60s didn't leave anything behind it was it was a trash decade in a lot of ways but like the 68 movement has left like um left a kind of fortress of ideas and optimism that people still kind of obsess about um and it influenced people in kind of different ways when they became reflective about it, I think, in the reflection, mm-hmm. the, reflexi- the reflexive turn of like the 70s and 80s did that. Um, I just don't think Garel made that, um, made that bridge like with his cinema. I don't think it just felt like he just kind of ran out of ideas a bit. Um, I don't know. That's why they're a bit disappointing, but I, I still recommend like his 60s cinema. I just don't yeah. think you should go and watch like, um, go and watch like Lover for a Day if you're going on a date or something. If it's on at like the, like the art picture house or some shit like that, go and see it. I don't know. Yeah. Agreed. And it's short as well. It's mm. an hour, 15 minutes. Ooh, I mean, there's like definitely, uh, there's definitely some points in its column for that. Like any film under 90 minutes is a pro. Uh, on this podcast but I mean okay fuck it Garel in the bin let's talk about Bellatar for a minute because I know uh, on Sunday yeah you did an entire Saturn Tango walkthrough how was that I have a confession to make what happens I I only did half of well actually two. I did four hours 20 minutes you lied on your stories <laughs> no but I mean I've seen to be fair to me mm. I've in my own time on various on mm. three occasions I've seen Saturn Tango uh, mm. in a day um what is linear time anyway? Yeah, but this my the the person who my friend Sam who came to watch it with me, mm. um, he uh, he turned up a bit late and then we ended up going for a walk and having some ratatouille and yeah, it just don't. wasn't gonna seven hours wasn't gonna happen. You would have done the same, I'm sure. I would have done the same. We would have been. It's like but it's watching, a great film, and but people who yeah. think they have short attention spans watch mm. Satan Tango. It's it's very engaging it's fucking slow mm. not very much happens the same period of time is mulled over twice three times um four times maybe um mm. it's dark but it's rejuvenating and beautiful mm. and it resets your brain in a beautiful way Bellatar should be applauded for that i think so it's um also being applauded for walking away from cinema yeah which i think is an interesting thing because we're talking about Garel kind of String wringing the cloth, the dishcloth out until it's dry. Um, Bellatar kind of just said, "Well, it's kind of it, really." And it's like I've, I've. And he said, "Unless a project comes up that really grips me, that's it." You know, he wasn't like saying, "I'm never going to film again," but it's like I just the 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 question isn't there for me. Um, also, in film uh, news, there's a new David Lynch Netflix project. Is there? Is that next year. how how far advanced is that? Do you know anything about it? They're, mm. sh- they're shooting next year, I think. It's called Wisteria. Wisteria. That yeah. sounds like... Very American. It's like, it's like the way you American. can come up with burial titles, you know. Just yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just know the aesthetic. You can, Wisteria, you know. Dead bin. That's my, that's my uh, burial AP you, title. You, you hear my burial Corbin memes? Lockdown, new cough. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'm interested Face by uh, I'm interested by um, Netflix Lynchian Netflix thing because he was like it will make them shit. Saw, I think Netflix always yeah, make everything shit. He he hates like he made a big he made a big uh, 
agro kind of he did an interview recently where it's like people watching if you watch a film on a phone you are not watching it and you're fucking telephone you're fucking telephone but like he loves tv though he loves that prestige yeah and i say if someone gives him money Mm. to do something i just Mm. wonder whether netflix because netflix and lynch are two big titans yeah of of the film industry right Mm-hmm. But I wonder who will be capitulating. Will Netflix be doing their most will avant-garde the original knee? series? It would be their most... If they let him do what he did with Showtime on Twin Peaks The Return, mm-hmm. it would be the most avant-garde thing that's been Yeah, because they'd have to say, I, they probably just said we want one of those, please. But what if they... Um, everything else they've put out, they've really mucked... Like when Black Mirror went to... Not that Black Mirror was especially avant-garde in channel four but it lost some of its yeah it lost its edge i think that was also really occating a lot of it to america made it lose its edge there's a peculiarly peculiarly english griminess like shit rainy fascism island griminess to um, fair enough yeah, yeah to black mirror although interestingly um hard to be a god uh alexei Gurman's uh masterpiece was on netflix for a very long time buried in the vaults um you had to search for it there was i never encountered it and i looked and looked i guess i mean like netflix originals you know um oh yeah it's not netflix but it's interesting that they did they did they did distribute through netflix um gasper noe's love is on there as well but that's because that's basically porn it is basically porn um it's like id magazine porn it's like (laughs) soft it's not soft it's like neon porn or something um but I'm interested to see what happens with like a Lynch Netflix project because he did a short film that came out on Netflix, didn't he? Did he? Recently. Okay. With the talking monkey, it's very good. Oh, okay, I'll it's, check it's it out. It's just a little. It's just a little um, fascinator of a film. That's all it is. But uh, Wisteria. That basically just sounds like he's doing Mulholland Drive. It sounds very Mulholland Drive, probably, doesn't it? which is no bad thing. I mean, Mulholland Drive. We said this before. Mulholland Drive was supposed to be a, a TV series, so yeah. um, in its original form. So maybe he's decided to make a Hollywood, um, you know, a kind of Hollywood mythology. But you know, Larry David's already done that. Kirby <laughs> <laughs> enthusiasm is like the uh, Delphic Oracle. Of, now that's uh, what LA. I'm. The post-COVID Kirby enthusiasm is what I'm really holding out for. Uh, that I guy am. wasn't even wearing a mask. Wary, wary. <laughs> Get um, out of my house, Larry. I mean, I, I am really excited for a. Um, yeah, although with um, ah oh God, he's dead. The coach. Oh, Funkhauser. Fankhauser is dead. One of the best characters on TV. <laughs> um, Careful, you'll give yourself COVID. <laughs> um, deeply good voice, but he died um, recently as one of the best characters. Yeah, he was a great character. Yeah, but that's kind of it um, we have for this week. I'm, I'm kind of amazed when we, like, I thought we had so much to say about Garel, but we've kind of, uh, yeah, run out of steam. Yeah, I guess some, yeah. Of the, some of the good things about him are quite hard to articulate because they're just beautiful images. And then some of the bad things about him are pretty simple mm. and i think we've covered it i guess there's some news coming up we 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 have um the next two shows mapped out we've got um we've got a guest a friend of yours lara alonso there alonso corona yeah yeah they're joining us mm. on in two weeks time i've done it in the wrong order they're joining us have in you? two weeks time to review meek's cutoff by kelly reichardt um, so we can have a bit of a Reichardt uh, sesh. I've seen, I think I've seen all of Reichardt's films, but a long time ago. So I might, might dip, might re-dip. And then yeah. next week, 
we're gonna i'm a bit intimidated by this prospect but we're gonna be doing alejandro hodorowsky's recent yes. double bill of endless poetry and um can't remember the other films the other one the other one. Um, the other one yeah his his return to cinema um but is it his return to form Tune yeah to find out um i i saw let's give a little sneak peek i i saw um endless poetry uh at the ica actually a few i wrote a mm. review about uh endless poetry oh um, great i'm gonna dig that out and use that um i think i really liked it at the time but i i re-watching it i think i've let's see how I've you've matured sa- yeah i think i <laughs> i wonder if i soured to the project of jodorowsky but um I feel like I've soured the project of Hodorowsky, but I mean, I'm willing to be unsoured. Okay. I often st- I often Reverse change my sour. mind about filmmakers like during a long period of not having seen their work. I think I really liked Holy Mountain, and then after a while of like thinking about Hodorowsky, I thought, mm. "Fuck that guy." Fuck that guy. But I haven't actually um, seen his films for a long time. What if you took mushrooms with me in the 1970s? But he never takes mushrooms, right? He never takes Is any. Completely- anyway, we'll talk about this. He's totally teetotal. He just drugs everyone else. That might be wrong. I might be lying. I might be wrong. Uh, that's Don't. also quite libelous to say. He's been <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I'm excited to do both of those. Uh, when we talk to Lara as well on the 16th, it will be we're recording. Um, that'll be kind of our Christmas episode as well. So, yes. Um, I don't know how we talk about Christmas on MoomTube. Um but, yeah. Very badly. I don't think. Um, I noticed Lara said on Twitter that they're not. They're not really a fan of the Christmas films. I'm certainly mm. not a fan of Christmas films. No. Are you? Uh, Die no, Hard really. is the obvious one. Uh, I mean, I'm really interested in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I haven't we seen have, that. Maybe we'll yeah. review that for Christmas. For as like well, Christmas, maybe Christmas. we'll do a little because we're doing Meek's cutoff. But maybe we'll do a postscript on It's a Wonderful Life because I think I, I came to blows with somebody over this indirectly. Oh, Daniel Niafitu, friend of the pods. Friend of the pods. I think we came to very different divergent views on... Um, Let's have Daniel back on, on the 24th. Review, it's all about, is it even on movie? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> no, fuck it. Maybe we could. Off-site could movie. Um, you know, maybe we could do a little mini... Yeah, mini-sode. I love anyway. conflict. We haven't had any conflict on here. We always no, agree. we haven't. We Except for agree. humanité. Mm. <laughs> Apart from humanity. Anyway, humanity. this is all getting uh, a bit locker room. Um, let's uh, <laughs> let's wind off. Thank you, Ralph, listeners. For wind listening. off is that what you call it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing later? We're, we're on Zoom, so there's not. You know, I'm doing later. I'm sitting in my home. It's lockdown, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not lockdown anymore. What? It's tear whatever. Tears of the clown. But I'm going into isolation now because my flatmate's gone COVID. Mm. Um. But anyway, uh, yes, take care. Um, Watch uh, Uh, Endless Poetry, the other one, and Kelly Reichardt. Stay safe. Stay safe. Peace out. Happy Christmas.